This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the AEW Collision Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by another one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on this weekend's episode of AEW Collision. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Where we do daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Collision, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a running quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review AEW Collision. What a show this was. Mostly. Mostly, yes. Some stuff that was bang average and something that I didn't like, but the <laughs> real high points were, you know, special. Like, TV match of the year caliber stuff, spoiler mm. alert. Like, that was absolutely unbelievable. Um, some iffy, very AEW developments deeper into it. You know what? Bear with me on this one, because when we go bit by bit, I might get a little bit, uh, 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 but I'm, put it this way, I'm very much looking forward to reviewing the main event. Don't skip. No. Um, and there were parts on this show I knew that I was like, I know where we're heading. <laughs> Oh boy, this is a this is a diversion that we're taking right here uh-huh. that I don't think was necessary or gets me excited about the future. But there is also, and it is exemplified by the opening match here, the moments where we moan about the size of AEW's roster sometimes, but it also allows for the fact for them to bring someone out, and I go, "Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah." And that was example uh, exemplary here when it comes to AR Fox. Forgotten about him, and he got a great match. He's been in the doghouse, hasn't he? Mm. Jay White uh, was the match, and uh, I just really enjoyed this. Love watching AR Fox in the ring. It, if, without AEW, I wouldn't really know who AR Fox is, if I'm perfectly honest, but I'm really glad that I do now. Um, bottom rope cutter from Fox uh, after Jay White's in control early on. Fox drop kicks him out to the floor um, and ends up hitting a shooting star press running off the uh, turnbuckle, basically, off the ring post on the outside. Can I just stop your flow? I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Jay White's got the best positioning in wrestling, I think. Yeah. Where he always, he never telegraphs a bloody thing, never signposts a bloody thing. He just looked like he'd made a strategic error. And when, in fact, his actual ring positioning was unbelievable to make it look like an organic yeah. spot. But you always... He's great at making mistakes on purpose, and he makes very few of them on purpose. Yeah. But he's like when you so often in wrestling, a momentum shift is just like pretty telegraphed. Yeah, he's just so good at this, Jay White. Uh, and he hits a half and half suplex as they go back inside into the turnbuckles. Uh, drills Fox with a Larry and a DDT. Fox gets sent to the floor, and the rest of the year, uh, bing bing ging, beat him up as we go to commercial. When we come back, um. Fox dodges a somersault from White, hits a senton, runs wild, dives onto the Bullet Club gold guys on the floor, uh, hits White with a brain buster, hits a senton bomb, great near fall, crowd are loving it at this point. Um, Fox puts a White on the top rope, hits the low main pain for another near fall, goes up top, but White moves out of the way 450, 
uh, and he catches Fox, does uh, Jay White with a head and neck suplex. It's the Blade Runner, one, two, three. Post-match, a hooded MJF tries to slide in and grab his belt back, um, but uh, Jay White gets his hands back on the belt before he can do that. And uh, MJF fails because he's got bigger fish to fry on this night before the Bing Bing gang can get their hands on him. The Very quickly on the Pulse match, I couldn't make my mind up whether I thought it was a clever subversion of something or whether it looked a bit, whether he made himself look a bit weak. Basically, MJF can get away with doing heel things as a babyface because mm-hmm. his character is, he is our scumbag. Mm-hmm. Is it one thing to be, he's our scumbag when he's cheating and it's fun and entertaining because people just like heels and they like bad guys? It's maybe a different thing when you're doing the cowardly babyface thing. Can you get away with that? It's not really a scumbag thing. It's just you've looked like your plan hasn't worked. Is that necessarily good baby? Is that a good subversion of his, I don't really know how to be a babyface guy's bit. (laughs) It's one of those, isn't it, as well? Because in his... In in my head, it's completely understandable what he did as well. Because if I had a big world title match later on in the night, I wouldn't think I'm going to go out there, kick those guys' asses, and get my belt back. They'd just be like, I'll just I'll just grab it yeah. whilst they're not paying attention, and then I've got it to come out with for the Kenny Omega match. I think ultimately the problem wouldn't exist if they hadn't gone with a the belt theft angle, which is just I don't get it. I've never once understood what I can understand. It would be right, really annoying. For a baby face, if your thing that you've worked really hard to both get and keep a hold of has been stolen from you, right? But I don't like... It's like watching the baby face get his head stoved in where you're like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like, I was talking on the Q&A pod. I'll get to the thoughts on the match imminently. Sorry, I do tangents. I can't help myself. <laughs> I was talking about on the pod... The Q&A pod on YouTube, which you can go and watch on our mm. What Culture Wrestling podcast channel and indeed subscribe while you're there about how whenever he, like, cheats a babyface out of a match, never go, oh, God, mm. I resent that heel character. I always just think, oh, the the booker didn't want the babyface to lose Booker's clean. panicked, yeah. Yeah. I still obviously get someone getting the crap kicked out of them. It's a really convincing beatdown. That's different. You can still get heat in that kind of way. Um... But yeah, it's not as if the Bang Bang Gang have beaten him up and bloodied him and it looks gruesome mm. and I get a bit of sympathy for the baby face and I think the heel's a bit of a bell end for it, right? That didn't happen here. <laughs> just foiled him trying to get his belt back. Like, I, I just, it didn't work for me that bit. It didn't work for me. I can understand why MGF tried it or why he was booked to try it or whatever because it's like, oh, we can get away with doing this kind of stuff because he's kind of like this postmodern, self-aware baby face who... Isn't going to get his ass kicked by four guys because he's cleverer than that. He knows how these things work. Didn't really do a lot for me, if I'm being honest, but then again, this belt theft angle on the whole doesn't. This was such a perfect opener. Like, not a great blow-away match. Not one that I'll remember yeah. this time next year. And you think, oh, what are your favorite TV matches of 2023? Like, I'll never remember this in a million years. <laughs> but in terms of the viewing experience of this two-hour thing that I sit and watch on a Sunday morning, I watched... Um, I just started. The action was good. And then it finished at the perfect time. And it just left me wanting more wrestling. Mm. Like, JY is so clever. I tweeted something similar. The mega fans will forgive me. I get it when people debate his intangibles, mm-hmm. his star aura. And Hamlet made this point. If you have to debate that, then he doesn't have it. Yeah. He just doesn't because the whole point of having it is that it's this undeniable objective it factor. Like that's the whole definition of the term. It, no one can doubt his wrestling mind. You can be bored by Jay White. I'm not. I understand why people are. I don't necessarily see him as this punk Omega Roman A1 tier star. Mm-hmm. But my God, he's, his mind for this is sh- so sharp. And I always knew he could do it. I still recall in a TV match I do remember uh, when he was you know, doing Forbidden Door stuff. Maybe just a random, he was in America, maybe the restrictions going in and out of Japan at the time were horrendous, and they thought, well, he's in the US. Let's get him in AEW for a one-shot. He had a match against Trent on Rampage, and it was so great. Such a compact, 
more digestible JY performance than the really long match he would have he would have in New Japan. So I knew he had a brain and he wasn't just this self-indulgent 45, 50-minute New Japan main event guy. And in these TV matches, we did it against Penta with that really good chop battle where he's like, oh, take your yeah. uh, single off, so it's fair. He's just had, he, he's got this knack for just turning a dial like really quickly to just intensify a match and just think of a sequence and play his role in a sequence where these fans just instantly get up and they went mental for AR Fox Yeah, when he was doing the jump onto the bing bing bing. Mm-hmm. Jay White is just... He can literally turn excitement off and on like a switch, which is bad news for his often bad faith critics who think he's just really boring and tedious. It's like he's not. He can literally click his fingers and do something yeah. that just gets people sitting down, enjoying it well enough, and then making them go rabid in the space of like 60 seconds. Uh, they claimed a backstage. They've been champions for 62 days. They are celebrating next week with National 69 Day. I was wondering why they'd been saying how many days. They've all been building to this. How do you not see this one coming? Indeed, uh, uh, and MJF has been texting Max, according to Max, saying that he's going to be there. He's very excited for National 69 Day. Uh, Bowens points out it's a catfish, and uh, Max is gutted because he's been sending this catfish pictures. I don't know what pictures he could have been sending. Oh, uh, yeah. right, if he's been sent... Because it's intimated that he's attracted to MGF, so yeah. maybe sent him some pictures of his engorged penis. Oh, that makes sense. This is this this one landed for me because I hate the idea of Max Caster saying these ridiculous lines to the interviewer that no one would ever say and that they're too stupid. Like, why don't you use the belt on me? How could that be interpreted in any other way? <laughs> yes. It's not like, you know, you've made a full par. The oral sessions one was nice. Uh, that's, that's, you can uh, understand, yeah. uh, that's got it, that's a double entendre, yeah. and your meaning was misinterpreted by, you know, the other person in the conversation. Why don't you use a belt on me? How could that be misinterpreted? <laughs> how could that be misunderstood? What's the joke here? Mm. Like, how can you play innocent? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just stupid. This was him being stupid but in a somewhat believable way. Uh, the guns are still out there from Bing Bing Bing. Um, and by God, do I love collision picking some of my favorite people uh, to just be fed in squash matches. We've had Turbo Floyd, the Outrunners. Uh, recently, Tell them, Turb. Recently. Give me more Dalton Castle on my AW television. Well, did you see what happened when he retreated up the ramp? Yes. He's clutched at his back. Apparently, he's had significant back yeah. problems for a long time. So the fact that he wasn't out for the match, and then they just caught him like with his palm of his hand on his coccyx. Was, he um, break his back, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Anyway, the, his boys got fed to the guns. Basically, they got a little bit of offense in, um, and but the guns took over and just hit him with a three ten to Yuma squash match. I like the squash matches on a collision. I do because you could just not pay that much attention. I have to make any notes for it. That's not that's good from a podcast host perspective uh-huh. and a content creator perspective. If you're watching this for pleasure, mm. you're not necessarily doing cartwheels or just bleeding or whatever. Um the champions are heels and the guns oh, because the ROH world title thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, ROH World Tag Team title. Yep, Route One, <laughs> the literal most basic w- f- way you can Air quotes, build challenges. Mm-hmm. This is says, uh, Triple H got the book for half a collision. <laughs> we got a nice video package hyping up Kenny Omega. Oh, that's the question. Hmm? Huh? No, I don't think so. Uh, video package hyping up Omega MJF in the main event, of course. Uh, and then a video from Danhausen. Happy Halloween. Very, very nice. Very, very evil. Very good. Um, and then Lexi Nair's backstage with Ryan Nemeth. And I thought, what the what hell, hell are you doing, doing here? Yeah. And then the moment... He sort of intimated he was near a door. I went, oh, okay. Uh, this is good. You're the new action Andretti. Got it. Yeah. Uh, because look, he talks about his recent success in Hollywood and getting commercials and voiceovers. Um, so he's now looking for representation. CJ Perry. He knocks at the door, you know, straightens his outfit out. And he opens the door. You're not CJ Perry. You're Miro. He drags him in and kicks the crap out of him. Good. <laughs> Moving on. Um. Women's world title was also on the line on this show, I should say. Um, 
mean, Hamblet correctly. I mean, I, I accidentally saw the results, so I just didn't guess. But Hamblet correctly predicted it would be Abaddon. Of course. Who else is going to be on Halloween? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fairly straightforward. A maybe spooky uh, sky blue, but that's got more time to run, I sense. And yeah, we went. Uh, Abaddon's come back out of nowhere, so they are probably going to win this. And uh, yeah, it was Abaddon versus Hikaru Shida here in a Friday night fight. Ooh. Uh, it's a Halloween themed street fight, basically. Um, Abaddon tries to hit Shida with the bone, um, but uh, Shida uses a, a foam tombstone to block the shots that slowly just sort of disintegrate. Pathetic. Um, Abaddon gets sent to the outside. They try to hide under the ring uh, and then jump Sheeta from behind. Uh, and she is hit with a garbage can lid by Abaddon to take us to break. Uh, Sheeta hits Abaddon with a running knee, but uh, misses the broom-assisted Meteora. Uh, Abaddon goes under the ring with a baseball bat. I wish this one was filmed for your face whilst I'm reading this. Uh, Abaddon just walks through Sheeta's strikes. Hits her with a lariat for a near fall. Sends Sheeta into the corner. Dumps out some Halloween candy. Um, hits a blockbuster for a near fall. Sheeta pulls out a kendo stick. Hits Abaddon in the head with it. Hits a knee strike. Only gets a two count off the back of it. So Sheeta puts a pumpkin on Abaddon's head. And hits the katana for the one, two, three. Ugh. I'll tell you one thing. That initial knee strike, even under these ridiculous circumstances, Hikaru Shida can still craft a good near fall. Mm. It's the nicest thing I can say about this match. I thought for a split second, I said this on the preview, that Abaddon might win because Tony Storm's Hollywood, Tony Storm Hollywood versus Monster. But as Oh, the, God. I'm glad that didn't happen. <laughs> we'll talk about Tony Storm in a sec. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, so one good near fall... I will say one nice thing about the match. And there it was. <laughs> I, fundamentally, I have no problems problems with these sorts of matches. Even in AEW canon, I've quite enjoyed their Halloween stuff, particularly the Elite versus Dark Order with the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yes. I like, um, on certain occasions, i.e. the first pay-per-view of a pandemic or Halloween, a bit of quasi-canon fun. Why not? So on a principal level, I had no issue with this match. I just don't think it was very good. Mm. And if you're going to do a plunder match <clears throat> around Halloween season, the devil's playground was better. Yeah, leave it to the professionals. Come on. Who was it? Uh, Roxanne, Roxanne Perez, Perez and uh, um, businesswoman. Keanu James. Honestly, if it's not a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I'm really yeah. struggling. So on NXT, they did a better Halloween-themed plunder match than this. Mm. Um, so that wasn't a good comparison. Um, it invited them, and it didn't meet the standard they'd set. It was just a lot more fun, that match. This was, like, so contrived in a way that you can do daft, frivolous stuff, but this is too contrived. Mm. Like, they wanted the visual of the gravestone, the tombstone, shattering with the bone, right? Mm -hmm. It's one thing to create that visual, but what did Sheeta, the wrestling character, expect when she held that up? You know what I mean? It just mm -hmm. made it look so stupid. Like, it's sacrificing, and who cares? Sheeta is really over. Um, she's kind of a beloved folk hero in AEW at this point. So it's not as if like people are going to go, well, she just sucks now. She made a stupid in-character decision in a frivolous Halloween match. Mm. Like, it's not the end of the world. I just thought it made her look stupid on this night of all nights. And the trend in wrestling, right, where, oh, no, it's not thumbtacks, but it's an everyday object that would suck to land on? That's clever. <laughs> <laughs> Lego, yes, because everyone's stood on Lego. Yeah. Barbies in the... The Barbies. Because, you know, she's right. like a Barbie doll and it would suck to, you know, bump on jagged plastic. Um, what else? Either way, like, no one will do it with plugs. Ooh. No one's got that dog in them, but <laughs> if you want the ultimate, that reaction, yeah. that visceral skin crawling where you're trying to, like, close your taint... <laughs> 
with your arse cheeks. That <laughs> kind of, oh, plugs because everyone stepped on a plug and it absolutely sucks ass. Yeah. Hard-boiled sweets was a bit, no, 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 no. Like I've, Toblerones, I've, maybe, maybe we'll have a conversation. Maybe we'll have a conversation, depends how, if, the, if you've put them in the freezer or yeah. like a really cold fridge, maybe a Toblerone would suck. Oh, white chocolate Toblerone's great at Christmas time. Mm. Yes. Is there any candy? What about like a candy cane board where like the actual stick, the curved bit is stuck to the thing so you are pumping on spikes but it will just crumble instantly. Yeah. Maybe like a candy cane board I'd go, ooh, and then you realise, oh, hang on. It didn't hurt that much. Well, that's clever. Hard-boiled sweets. Mm, I get it. They're hard, so maybe it wouldn't. It maybe be a bit unpleasant bumping on them. I saw some tang fast sticks in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> do they have them in America? I don't know, actually. Haribo tang fast sticks, basically. Things, like one of those ones where uh, Jello sweets, jelly, uh, j- yeah. jellies, what jam, Jello sweets, like a soft sweet. I'm sure I saw some of them. I'd bump on them all day long. It's available at BritsRUs.com. Right. Okay. So not really. Yeah, soft candy, okay? Jello sweets. You cannot bump on that. It doesn't it just doesn't work it's not Lego? Stupid. Anyway. Yeah, you can get some if you want to go to these uh It was mainly for the reference. I don't really care if the citizens of the United States of America can eat tang fast sticks. I was just worried they didn't get the reference. Just reading about what they Cola bottles. Do they have cola bottles? You know what? When I went to Vegas, I, I feel like I could make some money for the Coca-Cola Corporation. Why have Coca-Cola never sold their own brand cola bottles? Yeah, that's can a you really imagine? Good point. Uh, yeah, if, uh, that's mine. That is my idea. You'd have to pay me at least six figures if you want that Coca-Cola. Mm. Um, Tony Storm. Yes, yeah, Tony. I was going to say Tony Storm came afterwards. It was Black Luther. <laughs> and yeah, the new butler, Luther. Um, it's black and white when Tony Storm's on screen. It's color when Karashida's on screen. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Tony Storm dances down to ringside, lays on the announcer's table, and passes out oranges from her trunks. If I saw the fan footage correctly. Something, yeah. And thoughts? Do you know what flanderization means? You've talked about this a lot, but remind yes. me. Flanderization using Ned Flanders is the preeminent example, hence where it's the terms arrived. It's like a, a TV fandom term about when a character just becomes a gross caricature of mm. themselves and the odd attribute they have just completely overwhelm their personality and their character. Like Ned Flanders was a religious, devoutly religious man in the early classic seasons of The Simpsons. But, like, the character was, like, multidimensional. was, like, really quite successful. But by not rubbing his face, not rubbing Homer's face in it, that was almost worse because he was, like, humble, but also, mm. like, incredibly successful and a better man and all the rest of it. Like, really well-drawn character, made some great conflicts with Homer. And they just became this religious guy, and that was pretty much it. I, the one I always think of is is Joey from Friends. Where in the first he's season, too stupid. Yeah, the first season, he's like, lovable idiot, and by the end, he's like, how have you got dressed today? Yes. How have you made sure that you ate food? Yeah, well... Or survived, yeah. or whatever. It's just, yeah. It's, yeah. It's taken it to the nth degree. Took about six or seven seasons of 24 episodes of Friends for that to happen. In AW, with between Tony Storm and Roderick Strong, these characters undergo the process of flanderization, which yeah. is meant to take place over seasons. It's like a subconscious thing. They don't try to do this. It's just what happens. Over like seven seasons of television, these characters in AW who strive for comedy undergo the process of flanderization within weeks. It's pathetic. To a point, Willborn. I've got one more point to make on this as well. To the point where I almost fear the next organically funny thing to just happen organically because it's just going to get butchered and flanderized 
as soon as someone gets something like an organically funny bit over, like they're doomed. So I'm going to dread something fun now. Mate, I had the same the exact same feeling randomly. I saw someone on Twitter as I was knocking together my notes and just checking, like I had everything right for this show. The Ryan Nemeth thing. Okay, funny. Like, he goes, you're not CJ Perry, you're Miro, and, you've, and you, why are you knocking at my wife's door? I'll kick your ass. Someone was like, this is amazing. This is hilarious. Uh, it's not. It's tough. just... Yeah. Hmm. Secondly, can you remember late 2021? 2022? No, 2022. Cross comes back. That's Cross. And then it turns black and white because he's sucking the life out of his opponents. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, why is it black and white? It's one thing to do during an entrance, maybe, when your character wants to intimidate your opponent yeah. or... To, so, not in the context, live context of the action happening. Why is it black and white when Tony Storm's out? I don't know. It's I get it. She's a Hollywood. You know. WWE binned it after a week of people going, "What?" <laughs> AEW's persisting with it because it's oh, it looks funny, just like just from nineteen fifties <laughs> trash, shoot trash. Uh, I used to love it. Yeah. You're right. They've brought it down to it's gone from she is a uh, disillusioned wrestler who imagined re has reimagined herself as a starlet to she is a starlet. She is a weird starlet. She has fallen through a time vortex and she yes. just so happens to wrestle now. Yes. Keith Lee uh, and Shane Taylor go back and forth. Jesus Christ. When are we getting this match? I, I don't watch it. Maybe stuff happens on, on ROH or on... Who cares about that? Or on Rampage or whatever. Uh, but, yeah. What is it with Tony Khan? <laughs> and Book and Keith Lee matches that never happen. <laughs> what are, oh, what's going on? I don't know. What's going on, guys? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, are we, we going to get a match or... A bit like Swerve, we're going to... I think I just don't believe it's going to happen now. That's, no. that's really good promotion, that. Um, <laughs> it's really good wrestling promotion where, you know what the whole point is? This match is happening. The idea now is to make fans really emotionally invest in it and anticipate it. Uh, why don't we do the opposite of that and just make you wonder if the match is going to happen or not? I got um, I got told on Twitter, by the way, I forgot to talk, because I haven't seen you since... Oh, are you a virgin? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's just the, that's <laughs> just the Impact show. <laughs> Check that out when it goes out on uh, on the weekend. Um, no, I had the temerity. To, I just, I'm just asking questions this, Sige. Well, I saw a graphic drop of uh, Santana, Mike Santana versus Ortiz. Big no DQ match that went down on Rampage. It was good, by the way. And I tweeted, why hasn't any of this been on Dynamite or Collision? Whatsoever. Yeah. And people were like... Check this guy out. Well, maybe he wants to. Uh, maybe he wants to watch more. Make more people watch Rampage. And I, I, I thought I, I decided I just I'm just gonna leave this. I can't be bothered. Um, but I was like, yeah, that's that's the point I'm trying to make here. Is if you want more people to watch it, maybe mention it on Dynamite or Collision. Because like build I, it on there. Yeah, I get. I, get, I, I would have preferred for us Excalibur for three seconds maximum doesn't count. No, exactly. I would have preferred, obviously, this to happen completely on Dynamite or Collision, for it to all be on there. I think Santana Ortiz, from what I've seen on social media, the brief clips and things that I've seen, obviously with all the history they've got, brilliant feud. I also understand Tony Khan thinking, I don't watch Rampage anymore, we need to do something. Huh? I'd just cut bait on Rampage personally, but still. They've found the flaw, and Rampage at this point is stigmatized where it will never get over. They've actually done some decent numbers, you know, of late. Really? I um that being said, you're never ever gonna get a null point anything over a null point eighteen ever. Right? But you're not gonna get lower than like a null point naught eight. I don't think they've hit that number like during the worst competition. If there is an acceptable flaw of viewership where you get a vaguely acceptable to Warner ranking, just put the worst stuff imaginable on there that no one cares about. Yeah. Like your QT Marshalls and your Hardys, basically. All the Nepo babies, put them on rampage. <laughs> They get what they want. Santana and Ortiz. They get what they want. The spotlight they probably don't deserve. And the AEW fans who watch anything will kind of happily watch that slop. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, the ROH TV title's on the line next, Samoa Joe. Makes me think one of them's leaving. Santana and Ortiz. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Samoa Joe defending against Rhett Titus, of course, a former uh, ROH TV champion. Uh, Joe batters him early on. Uh, hits the enziguri in the corner. Titus uh, counters a corner charge with boots. It goes for a high crossbody and Joe just walks away. I got worked by it. Yeah. I didn't think it was coming. And boom, second on call. Uh, Titus does well in terms of fighting out the muscle buster, though. Mafia kicks, uh, put Joe in a bit of trouble, but uh, he catches Titus, does Joe, with the ST Joe. Locks on the Coquina clutch. 17th successful title defense for Samoa Joe. How many do you remember? <laughs> Fine. Filler in it. Yeah. Total filler. And just to establish uh, Joe as a presence, obviously, ahead of something that was going to happen. A little bit later. I'm just going to preemptively, Sige, go through to that page. There we go. Of the uh, soundboard because we get a video next. Renee Paquette is backstage with QTV. No! 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 Uh, Harley Cameron hypes a new music video of theirs. And then QT Marshall apparently is the AAA Latin American champion, yep. uh, and he's going to defend his title. You're right. Um, in, <laughs> AW, in AEW with uh, numerous great luchadors. I'm not being funny, right? Why? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I know the answer. It's a rhetorical question. He's in management, well, so that's got, why he gets these spots. But if you've got a title match, you want to make it big, and you know, you're trying to get more people to watch Rampage, put the title match on Rampage. QT Marshall is probably... Like a really good base for luchadors, mm-hmm. but people don't necessarily watch this genre to watch QT Marshall wrestle. They just don't. Um, oh yeah, we've got this really sort of like dizzying uh, white knuckle, state of the art, next generation of lucha libre talents that are going to bring like a, a level of of athletic exhilaration that you thought wrestling had just sort of done. But no, there's yet more rotations to do, Mm. more rope manipulation. They haven't begun to peak. Uh, I put them in the ring with QT. What? How many times does this dude have to fail? How many times does this man have to fail resoundingly to capture the imagination of fans in the stories that he tries to tell for them to just say, you know what, just stick to the format and and Mm. stick to the coaching because you're not over. They've tried over and over again. They've tried. He's shagging the bunny. (laughs) (laughs) They've tried that. Yeah. They've tried. Oh. Turned on Cody. Turned on Cody. And he's turned his students against Cody. They've tried that, and it didn't really work, even though they had a nice little match at the Blood and Guts undercard. They have tried QT Marshall is a second-match comedy heel. Yeah, great. He's good at that. He yeah. actually got some praise. That was perfect. That's his lane. That's your place, yeah. They've tried QTV. What a f- 
fucking bomb that was. What a massive fucking bomb that was. And everyone, no matter whether they'd worked one day or 800. Oh, yeah, I remember this. In the wrestling business, knew it was bound for failure. It then failed to the surprise of nobody. They've had to try and reheat Powerhouse Hobbs by having him go over Chris Jericho in a protracted squash just to get rid of that QTV stink. And it's associated... Why is he... Why is he getting this? I know the answer. It's because he's made to Tony Khan and he's in management. And I hate that this exists. But like, on a fundamental level, this sucks so much. How many more times does he have to fail? Yeah. You know, you're, uh, we were talking about that list you're writing earlier on today. I think I've had another entry for you. Yeah. TV. Just going, I was just looking whilst you were talking there uh, about the AAA Latin American Championship. It's, it's former champions, Ray Phoenix, Penta, John Morrison in 2016, right? Uh, the the now Santos Escobar, and now just look at the picture. <laughs> what are you doing in the Latin American Champion Q Team? Marshall? Uh, uh, he's really, really. as well at one point. He's so good at like bumping. Uh, he's basically. Ideas above his station as the power to try and execute these ideas that are above his station. And it's annoying because every six weeks, I could happily watch QT Marshall okay. don the trunks, show some ass, do some stooging, do some quite wonderful bumping. Like, mechanically, he's very, very good. That's why he's a coach. I do not need another vehicle for this person who has failed time and time again to like capture the imagination of like, literally anyone when they try to give him a vehicle or an arc or, or something. Mm. QTV's coming back to our screens. I thought, well, well, it's, at least that's the worst news I'm going to receive on this episode of Collision. And then we got an injury update on Brian Danielson. Oh, for God's sake. Uh, he suffered a broken orbital bone. They've worked into the storyline in terms of like, oh, who was it? Was it the Orange Punch from Orange Cassidy? Was it the Rainmaker from Okada? Claudio's going to find Okada and make him pain. He's going to kick Cassidy's ass on Dynamite this week. Um, I'm going to have a match with him later. But yeah, Danielson out for the rest of the year just sucks, doesn't it? It sucks. You know me, Wilborn. I'm not... I've done this before. I'm not even glass half empty. I bought 250 grams of whole beans from Rave Coffee... They arrived on Friday or Saturday, right? 250. It's meant to last you like a fortnight. Um, and my very brief coffee journey so far was the absolute best cup of coffee I've had in my life. I, um, I, I didn't realize black coffee could be so juicy, mm. so fruity, but yet still retain the, the lovely characteristics of a black coffee. Like, I, I could just happily, like, chew it. Yeah. It was so tasty, so juicy. Tasting notes of pomegranate, oh. parma violet, oh. and uh, white grape. And, like, the more I take out my 11 grams, oh, yeah, I think oh, it's getting empty. It's mm. like, drink, man, you're about 10% of the way through it. <laughs> Maybe once in your stupid dickhead life, <laughs> if the bag starts to really feel empty, then you can have a little bit of a. Ah, oh, that was a shame. I really like that one. I can't just enjoy things. <laughs> Glass half full for me for once. Mm-hmm. Very briefly. The pathos. This is going to add to the story they're telling with Brian Danielson. How he can't really go anymore, but he's going to go all out for as long as he can. That's going to be tremendous. It's going to give a lot of material for the people he wrestles against. And the next time he go, he, he's about to take an orange punch or a rainmaker... Oh my god. I can really undermine the point there. And also, I could literally hear Nigel McGuinness rubbing his hands together on commentary the moment. Yeah. They were like, out for the rest of you. He's like, oh, well, that's a shame. Yeah. I wish someone would have called that he was brittle. Uh, it sucks. It sucks. But when we come out of the Yiddish aid, there's, gonna, there's no one better than Danielson at exploiting it for dramatic effect. Yeah. He, uh, 
sad bit after Christmas now has something to look forward to. Yes. Oh, it's really bleak, isn't it? January suck like January, like, February, and March. We forget yeah, March yeah. is really cold as well. Yeah, it's one of those where people go, "Oh, don't you hate it when the clocks go back?" And I'm like, "Not really." This time of year, like it sucks. Obviously, yeah, finish work, go to work dark, go home dark. But when it's on the road to Christmas, and it's cozy, and there's yeah, things to look like, forward oh, to. Jesse, what? Let's go to a pub. Let's get a pint on the way. Like, uh, cozy, nice pub. Uh, windows are steamed. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, I'm pork scratching. It's all, all right. I'm gonna get facts with my because it's Christmas. Uh, it's there's January. always next year to get thin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, January. Oh, it sucks. It sucks. This and uh, oh well, these winters nearly over. No, wait a second. Winter just started. Yeah, no. It gets me every year. That's really freezing cold, and there's nothing to look forward to. Thanks, life. <laughs> Uh, then it was time for uh, Ricky Starks versus Dax Harwood uh, before the match starts. Someone's forgot to play the lucky meter uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, the lights go down, lights come back up in the House of Black are watching from the crowd. Cheap? Why don't they get a ticket? Uh, <laughs> they fight back and forth. Starks gets the upper hand. He gets out of the way of a diving headbutt from uh, Dax Harwood and he hits old school and the uh, apron leg drop. Harwood sends Starks to the floor, but uh, Starks does him in the, the what's it called? Ring skirt, that's it. Uh, Looked a bit wonky. <laughs> club, clubbers him. Uh, hits a suplex on the ramp. Um, as we come back from commercial, Harwood hits Starks with a superplex. Um, but uh, Starks comes back with a lariat, but Harwood manages to fight out the Rochambeau and counter a tornado DDT with a brain buster for a near fall. Harwood posts himself after Starks avoids a charge in the corner. Harwood counters the spear with a knee, hits Starks with a pile driver. Um, but just as he's about to get the one, two, three, big Bill pulls Harwood off the pin. Uh, he goes out to confront Bill, walks straight back into a pile driver. One, two, three. Post match, the lights go out again. Julia Hart appears on the stage, cuts the lights, turn back on. The House of Black are in the ring uh, alongside Starks and Bill surrounding FTR. And then all of a sudden, the LFI make their long awaited return. Run down, looks like they're going to beat up FTR as well. But they side with FTR, they save FTR. Uh, a big brawl kicks off with the House of Black and, uh, as I said, Starks and Bill and what have you. And the LFIFTR stand tall to close out this segment. <sighs> what? Why do I have to do it like this? Like, why can't it just be a bit more direct sometimes? There's always... Again, it's... Uh, I see the side of the extreme now. Remember a few years ago when everything was just so caught compartmentalized in WWE and you're like, the wrestlers don't have a few things going on at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they've got too many things going on at once. <laughs> like, I just don't understand why it's just diluted, unfocused, random babyface squads. It's just annoying. It's just, I just want some, I just want two people or two groups of people to really hate each other and for this rivalry to consume them. None of this. Oh, he's aligning with that person or their combining forces. It's just so... Muddied waters. Yeah, I was bored. I was really f bored of the way that Tony Khan does things a lot of the time. Trust me, this main event ruled. I'm going to praise it to the hilt. This match kind of just existed for me. Mm. I think it... I, I expected a lot more. It just didn't have much... I wasn't really interested by it. It's one of those I couldn't... It was a gentleman's three. It was an absolute gentleman's three. I can't really identify anything that was wrong with it other than my vague, subjective... Eh, indifference. Indifference. Yeah. Like, I was personally indifferent to it. There wasn't scorching heat in the building. Um, I don't think there was any real emotion worked in it. I think the action was that spectacular. Or the rhythm was so intoxicating where I just couldn't guess where the momentum was going next. It was just... A competently wrestled match that did nothing for me on a subjective gut, soul level. Mm. And what is the deal? I'm turning to Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> What's the deal? Hey, guys. What's the deal with these really uh, bizarrely anticlimactic FTR finishes? Uh, what are they doing? I don't know. Remember that eight man before Wrestle Dream? Because it was ZSJ and Danielson on the same side of the ring, but they barely interacted, but that was the point. Yes. Wasn't that like a really... Was that the finish finish? Yes. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm sure they've done it. Like, there's another occasion with FTR on Collision where I'm thinking, oh, was that the finish? And then this was yet another... Was that the finish, FTR finish? I don't know if they're... 
going for this, oh my God, FTR have lost? And they're trying to frame it as this weird fluke because FTR, you know, they don't lose. They're FTR, they're the best, biggest cogs, longest matches, best matches. You better tell them this, otherwise they'll get mad at you. So I don't know what, what they're going for with the types of finish that they've kind of introduced this year. I personally find them quite anticlimactic and confusing. Yeah, I agree. It looks like, it always looks like they're too, they've botched a late save attempt. Yeah. I get it. I think they're trying to make it seem like really acute, like really close, quite shocking. But for me, it just doesn't scan as dramatically effective an anticlimax. Yeah. Like a worked anticlimax at that. It's weird. Let's do the job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I completely get where you're coming from with that. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Where are we? I've lost me. I've lost my notes now. There's probably another reaction next one. I think it was Claudio next. Yeah, <laughs> I was taking the piss. This was good though. This is an actually good, worthwhile oh. squash with some interesting ideas. Sorry, uh, I forgot to mention. In amongst all this, Andrade uh, gets asked about an offer from CJ Perry and what's going on with the LFI, and he's like, "Oh, not." My business. Uh, and then Sky Blue gets asked about Julie Hart, and she says, my business, basically. I hate this so much. The Andrade thing, you take the leave it. He's not a particularly intriguing, episodic character for me. Um, I've got more to say, a more critique of the segment with Stat, Willow, and Sky Blue. Yeah. Right. So I think, was it Lexi Nair doing the interview? Yeah. Either Lexi Nair or Statlander says, Guys, I've arranged this interview so we can have a chat about what went down last week. Why don't you do it you know, six days of the week in private? Understand it's wrestling and everything has to happen. Uh, in professional wrestling, the wrestlers... Um, our... What's 24 times 7? What? Uh... Off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, just probably, do the um, yeah, internal probably. manual calculations. Get in my brain. I couldn't do, I couldn't do 24 it's 156. plus. It's I do, couldn't do 24 plus 7 right now. It's 156. I'll be so proud of myself. 168. Yeah. 100. Our week lasts 168 hours. Okay? Yeah. The professional wrestler's week lasts five. <laughs> Dynamite, Dynamite Collision Rampage. Why couldn't you have had this chat any old time? Yeah. One thing to just do it in front of TV cameras. I get it. It's pro wrestling, right? I'm not that pedantic. But don't say that you've arranged the interview for this express purpose. Have it, like, come up naturally in conversation. Or, like, like pretend. Yeah, lead you into it, yeah. Yes. Not like, we've arranged this 10-second <laughs> interview on collision because it's the only time we get the chance to talk about it because I'm a wrestler and my and my week lasts for five hours. I hate it. Uh, Claudio beat the crap out of Tracy Williams. Yeah, uh, it was really well done. Yeah, he had a sort of uh, well, he hits a rainmaker in this as well as a brutal looking uppercut, and then he put the label lock on her, on him afterwards as well. It was a it was a bloodbath. It was a mauling. It was a it was a, it was a it was a crime, and it started brilliantly with that jump scare. Not pissing about. Like, there's no excuse for squash matches to be bad. Yeah. Well, there is. It just don't happen to be very, very good, like Claudio Castagnoli. But you can tell a story in a minute. You know what? You can yeah, do that. 45 seconds, maybe. You can, tell, you can do uh, six-word stories. They're a trend. Oh, yeah. Two-sentence horror. Two-sentence horror. You can actually use this time effectively to tell a good story without a 12 to 15 minute back and forth wrestling match. Claudio is one of the few who's able to do it. So I really enjoyed the squash. It was honestly one of those where I was like, oh, Claudio's going to come out, half tempted to skip. And I thought, no, no, Claudio's good. Yeah. And he, he repaid my, uh, well, I had to do it. It's my job. Sorry, I just, I just Googled because it paused me again. I Googled uh, worst two sentence horror stories. Don't laugh at the. What are you doing? My mum always said that our family couldn't handle peppers. It was only when our teeth started falling out that I really understood what she meant. <laughs> what? It <laughs> <That> sucks. <laughs> Get that one. I wasn't scared of long hallways. That was until I met the hallway man. Uh, what? <laughs> don't have to, don't have nightmares. You know, <laughs> like 
He's still looking, guys. The people of the town said a monster lived in the woods. I frankly found it ridiculous. What's the second sentence? See if you can guess that. Oh! <laughs> it's time to play the game! Again. The people of the town said a monster lived in the woods. I frankly found it ridiculous. Until I realized I'm the monster. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I was the one who lived in the woods and I'd seen no monster. Oh, bloody hell. Do some more. I want to guess the second sentence, please. One more, because I know right, time's at a premium. Yeah. Do more of this, though, for Halloween. <laughs> okay, you'll never get this one. Come, in, come on in, have a seat, said the dentist. Come on in, have a seat, said the dentist. But I have no bum. <laughs> it's a run-on sentence. Come on in, have a seat, said the dentist. Who invented the electric chair? I can hear one year into the future. I'm sorry, the world's ended. <laughs> I can hear one year into the future. Today, the noise stopped. <laughs> Circling back to this on a roar when we can't be asked to do any of that bollocks. Right, main event time. Oh, oh uh, yeah. MJF and Omega are preparing. Samojo walks up and I did like the line where he basically said, he didn't say, if you need me, let me know. He said, scream my name. And I'll appear, like Joe Hendry, basically. Uh, and it was time for MJF versus Kenny Omega. I believe in Joe Hendry. Uh, MJF, Kenny Omega, world title. And Jim Ross on a call. Uh, immediately stared down each other. Uh, MJF catches Omega in a pin. Uh, they wrestled to a sort of stalemate early on. And MJF does a sportsmanship handshake and immediately pokes Omega in the eye. Great. Uh, Omega sends MJF to the floor and hits that Terminator dive to the outside. Um, Omega sends MJF in the ring. He's faffing about the outside, though, and MJF hits a Fosbury flop over the top rope. Where'd that come from? Amazing. Uh, MJF counters a head scissors with a powerbomb over the knee for a near fall. Mocks Omega and teases a V-trigger but runs into a Snapdragon suplex. Um... Omega picks up the pace. Katoro Crusher gets a near fall, sends MJF to the floor, hits a moonsault, hits a missile drop kick back into the ring to the back of MJF's head for a nice two count. Uh, Omega goes for another moonsault, but MJF gets his knees up, uh, fires up, sends Omega into the turnbuckle 10 times, bites him, you know, usual stuff. Sends Omega to the floor with a kangaroo kick, but uh, Omega cuts him off with that huge knee of his. Ushigoroshi from Omega gets a near fall. He loads up on the V-trigger, but MJF bails to the floor, so Omega hits a baseball slide, uh, which sends MJF into the announce table, and Omega sets up another table on of the ring. A buckle bomb from Omega into the corner, but MJF comes out of it and hits a lariat. They roll to the apron. Omega nails MJF with a knee. Omega hits a dragon suplex on the apron and then sends MJF through the table with a gut wrench power bomb. They go to a break, but it's a really short commercial Dr. break. Dr. Bomb. Dr. Bomb, sorry, yeah. Um, they go to a break, and there's literally a time going, it's, trust me, it's, we'll be right back. I love the way they did this. Yeah, 90 seconds. Uh, they come back, they roll back into the ring, they go back and forth. MGF pokes Omega in the eyes again, but Omega just comes back with a V-trigger. Uh, MGF hit a rolling elbow, another V-trigger from Omega, shuts him down. Goes to the one-winged angel, but MGF hits a poison rana to escape. On the best oh I've ever seen. Yeah, MGF loads up on a lariat, but Omega hits him with a poison rana. They're both down. MGF cuts off a corner charge, targets Omega's arm. He's been doing that occasionally throughout the match. I've just forgotten to mention it. Uh, goes to the Assault of the Earth armbar, uh, but Omega fights out of it and hits another V-trigger. Goes to hit the Kamigoi, but MGF fights out and hits Made in Japan for a near fall. MGF hits a shoulder breaker and a super kick, but Omega comes back with a brain buster. Omega hit a pulling pile driver, but Omega, uh, but MGF oh just gets his foot on the ropes. Oh my God. To take us to another break. When we come back, Omega power bombs MGF onto the barricade. Uh, oh my God. MGF hits a top rope Hurricane Rana, or Ghost Rat, I should say, uh, and Omega drops him face first into the turnbuckle. Snapdragon Suplex, running V Trigger gets an earful. Two V Triggers, gets him up for the one winged angel. Here comes Don Callis with a screwdriver that allows MJF to roll Omega up. Omega kicked out. Uh, they both 
go for pins. The referee kicks Callis out of ringside. MGF sends Omega into the ropes and hits the seek, heat seeker pile driver for a two oh count. Yeah. Goes and sets up, well, at least for the Panama Sunrise. MGF gets caught in a crucifix by Omega uh, for a near fall. Oh MGF catches Omega with a super kick. Panama Sunrise, heat seeker. One, two, three. MJF wins. MJF retains. MJF will break Kenny Omega's record as the longest reigning, reigning AEW world champion. And we see not only Samoa Joe, not only Wardlow, not only powerhouse Hobbs watching this, but of course the bing, bing, ging. Uh, MJF and Omega shake hands in the ring. as a real show of respect, a raising of the arm. I mean, he's just the biggest baby face in wrestling, isn't he? Yeah, I wasn't pressing that. Oh my god. Button is a bait. No. That was the reaction I had with every single spot as this thing just intensified and intensified. Uh, how do you do it? How does Kenny Omega do it without it feeling like overkill? Uh, how has he got this ability to just intensify and escalate these brutal looking spots and never hit a point of diminishing returns and just build and build and build. Like there might be, there's probably better athletes now than Omega because it's not 2017 anymore. If you watch 2016 Omega and a match against Naito in the G1 and the distances he flies to get from the ring to those like Japanese tables past the guardrail, it's, it's insane. He's not that athlete anymore. There's probably better technical wrestlers like ZSJ Danielson. There's no one before, at this point I'm thinking since, there's no one better at just getting the rhythm of a wrestling match and being able to just generate so much drama and, like, hit you in the soul when he's doing, like, really ostensibly flashy, like, really gruesome-looking moves, like, with... Kenny Omega, and this match was unbelievable, and I love the story they told, which I'll touch upon imminently. Like, there's no one better at doing spectacular wrestling that gets you, like, on an emotional level as mm -hmm. well. Like, it's not just this hollow thrill. It just it fuses, like, spectacular action, really gruesome-looking, realistic. How does he actually manage to do that with his body violence and this emotional locked-in response? He's just the best. He's the absolute best. And MJF was outstanding in this match as well. A few wobbles early, I must say. Like, a few moves that didn't look as good as they could have early, yeah. but then everything else just, like, just looked incredible. And I just loved the story and the way that they structured it and chaptered it, where the idea here was that they want to put... MJF in the position of greatest AEW champion ever. And they've told the story, best Iron Man, best fail, best four-way, um, all the rest of it. Um, and now he's had to do the Kenny Omega match. Like, if you want to be known as the absolute best, yeah. you have to do the most physically demanding match there is, the Kenny Omega match. And the way they told the story of him not only doing it, being the one to make Kenny Omega look f***ed up by the finish mm -hmm. was so, so good. So Terminator dive, Fosbury flop. The idea, and then they did the... So it goes from, yes, it didn't really work, but they did the double kip-up where Omega slipped. Parity. Terminator dive. Oh, well, actually, I've got a Fosbury flop. The idea is, you know what? I'm meant to be wrestling your match, and you're meant to be the person I'm catching, but you need to catch up to me, if anything. Mm. And then... Because Kenny Omega, the Kenny Omega match is this long, like, incredibly debilitating affair if you're not Kenny Omega. The longer it goes on, they switch that pattern and they subvert that pattern. So MGF does that. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. That Poison Rana, which yeah. looked unbelievable. But then it's Kenny who just comes back and does it. And it's his turn to be the one to have the answer to the question. And the longer it goes on, you're thinking, well, it's Kenny's match. I'm not being funny. If you want to be really um, critical of the book in here, they couldn't have done literally more to signpost Omega's not winning this match. They show you the graphic that MGF versus MGF plus three versus Bang Bang Gang is happening. 
that wouldn't happen if they're not working a title program. They tell you Kenny's not winning. Oh, he's got Wardlow next, like, on the periphery. Right, Kenny's not winning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's also Joe. Right, okay, Kenny's not winning, and so on. And yet, in the guts of the drama, you just think there's no other result. Mm. Like, there's no one better at generating drama in professional wrestling than Kenny Omega, and MJF for that matter as well. This was a perfect meeting between the two. Almost the execution could have been tighter early, but it was the first time they've ever shared a ring. Um, yeah, no, people, you know, so this is not one of those ones where if they put it on a pay-per-view, even to put it on full gear, they're not going to put it on full gear. But you wouldn't be like, Ugh, not again. I'm going to have a quick dive into the discourse. Only after this, very quickly, only because it's not just bad faith. I think there's some good faith. I want to just give my take on it. So they do all this, then, as I said, as it goes deeper, it's Kenny who's got the the answer to the question. And the longer it goes on, the more it favors Kenny because it's the Kenny Omega match. And you could tell a story. You had a laugh, but you actually can't tell good short stories. You can tell a story in a finish. poem. Yeah. And you can um, you can tell a story on the microphone. You can tell a story with a facial expression. You can tell a story with a bump and the way you bump. Kenny Omega... Selling those heat seekers, he looked like his neck had been broken in that moment. Like he looked like his body had been mangled. And the idea that they told you at the finish was that MGF didn't just win the Kenny Omega match against Kenny Omega, but he really was the one to mess up Kenny Omega by the finish. Like it was this is basically like a coming of age story. They try to tell you the story and they absolutely nailed it. Ken, uh, MGF is one more big obstacle before he can realistically say he's the greatest AEW champion of all time. And they told it fabulously. Yeah. With the bumps, with the drama, with the frightening moves that MGF's basically the man. Before we end with the game, just on the discourse, I've got a few things to say. I understand the argument that they could have made this bigger or it felt like a hasty build or whatever. There was literally not a better time to tell the story than this episode of Collision. Mm-hmm. It was the last time and only time they could have told it. You can't do it next month because then he's already yeah he's already beaten the rain. So the stakes of this specific story have been told. I understand that people think, oh, they should have built it more. Right. Two of the matches that myself, and I'm happy to speak to others because I've been there and been in it in the discourse, two of the most anticipated, I can't wait for this match to come around, matches in AW history, MJF versus CM Punk at Revolution and MJF versus Adam Cole All-In. Matches that had already taken place on television. MJF almost specializes yeah. And doing a TV match yeah. first and then making the pay-per-view one seem like, I want to pay money for this. I have to see yeah. how this ends sort of thing. And the idea that this was done with, what, a week or two's build? No, it was like 600 and odd days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You cannot tell the story without the two epic title reigns. You, you can tell a story. A story in wrestling isn't just a plotted thing where two wrestlers talk at each other for a few months and then interfere in each other's matches or whatever. A story can be really indirectly told, yeah. and this was that. Um, I just think a lot of the observations on this one were really shallow, really goldfishy, and has felt the need to defend the book in yeah. here. And trust me, I am not one to stand up for AEW in 2023. No. But I thought this is the perfect time to tell a really cool story, um, and this is literally the first, last, and only time they could have told this specific story. And guess what? If we get Kenny Omega versus MJF in the future, you will be foaming with anticipation when it comes because MJF specializes in doing sequels that you pay for for originals that you got for free. And the question remains, would Kenny Omega have won if Don Callis had Yes, so we'll revisit them? that plot point. Exactly. Final uh, two-sentence horror for you. Yep. I love this game instantly, by the way. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. It's gonna be, unlike Tony Khan, I'm just going to run it into the ground. Yeah. Barry loved to play in the snow. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Barry loved to play in the snow. But when the snow melted, so did she. <laughs> okay, it's good. Not right. No, right. Barry loved to play in the snow. But so did the meat worm. 
what? Is this like um, the kids tell jokes? You know, the kids write jokes Twitter page. Yeah. Kids write horror. This is if you're a grown up writing this stuff, it should be sad, huh? <laughs> anyway, let's see your life. Let's see yours on uh, on AW Collision <laughs> on X at What Culture WWE Watch. They can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts. The uh, SmackDown review and the Raw preview is available right now. And of course, we'll be back on Wednesday to preview AEW. Dynamite. Uh, but for now, this has been the AW Collision Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.